This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Slack. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. It's Wednesday, August 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Matt Argusinger is in the house. Producer Dan Boyd is back behind the glass. We're ready to go. Yeah. Because we got a bunch of things to get to. We've got very interesting news from the beverage industry. We're going to talk international. We're going to talk a little bit of private markets. And uh, maybe my favorite story heading into the NFL season. We've got to start with Macy's, though. Help me understand this, Maddie. Really good second quarter. I shouldn't say really good. A good second quarter report. Profits and revenue higher than expected. They raised guidance for the full fiscal year. Why is this stock getting punished today? It's down 13%. I think it's one of those situations where the stock has re- rebounded so much this year. I forget what it's up. I didn't look it up. It's up about 80%. Like, even yeah. with the drop today, it's still up about 80% in the past 12 months. So there you go. I mean, the stock has had such a nice run. I mean, it's been incredible. And I think it's one of those situations where I think the stock just got way ahead of the fundamentals. Because the report was good. I mean, you mentioned they beat expectations on revenue and earnings, raised full year guidance. That's great. Uh, you know, in their comparable store sales, which is kind of that key retail metric we like to focus on, uh, growth there is expected to be between two and two and a half percent this year. Okay, but you have to remember here, comps have been down three consecutive years for Macy's. In fact, cumulatively, they're down about eight percent. So Macy's is getting a fraction of those sales back. Um, but you know, meanwhile, they're still closing stores. Mall traffic is still trending lower in most places, and uh, you know, even in their best locations. The unit economics is just not really great for department stores right now. So there's all that too. Well, and two things on that. One, in terms of the same store sales, I suppose we should all keep in mind, and that's probably what we're seeing a little bit with the sellers today. Keep in mind that when they're talking about their same store sale growth being in the you know two to three somewhere in that neighborhood, that also includes the holiday quarter. And so if right. if you're if you're baking in your holiday quarter. And uh, you're still only expecting two to three percent. That's that's not great. The other thing is on on yesterday's show, Seth and I were talking about Home Depot and the quarter they just put up, and uh, we didn't hit this point specifically. But one of the uh, metrics that they broke out was their sales per square foot, and just how like pretty much everything else in Home Depot's quarter it was up. Hmm. And that's that's the thing about Macy's that they've gotten away from that. One of the areas that Macy's used to excel at was they kept their overall store count relatively low compared to sort of the profile of the brand, and they they did a better than average job on sales per square foot, and they've they've really gotten away from that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the that that premier anchor store that it used to be. They they open too many stores. We have too many malls in this country anyway. We know that. I just think you've gotten a bit of a gift. If you've if you've been a strong, I mean, if you've held on to Macy's shares over the last few years, wow, bless you, because you've you've been through some rough times and you've come all the way back from the brink. But I'd say you know this year has been a bit of a gift. You might want to cash it in. Constellation Brands is in the business of alcohol. Uh, Constellation has a bunch of brands under their umbrella. They've got beer, uh, probably best known for Corona and Ballast Point. They've got wine. Robert Mondavi and Woodbridge, probably the the better known brands there, and for liquor, Svedka Vodka. That's probably their their biggest brand. Uh, they have High West Whiskey, although that's that's more of a niche in the whiskey world. Uh, 
They didn't report earnings, but they did just make a $4 billion investment in Canopy Growth, which is the publicly traded marijuana company. Uh, trades on the Toronto Exchange under the fabulous ticker symbol WEED. Love it. This takes Constellation Brands' stake in Canopy Growth from just under 10% to 38%. Stock is down about 9% on this news. And you're not surprised? Not at all. <laughs> I mean, I get, I get the idea that you know, you you want to take the edge off, and so you got your glass of Mondavi wine, or you've got you know your Corona beer, and maybe you're throwing in a blunt, you know, there too. I mean, it, there's definitely some. I hate to use the word synergy between you know cannabis and alcohol, and I think uh, you know people who love one probably love the other, but this deal doesn't make sense to me. So. You have this canopy growth business, which, uh, by the way, trades for about 100 times revenue right now, roughly. Um, they're taking a $4 billion stake in it. it. This is all because, as we know, this is a Canadian company. Canada is going to be fully legalizing marijuana use beginning in October. Yes. October. And so there's anticipation that, well, this sales for this company are going to surge. I mean, you know, we're going from just this medical marijuana industry now to full-fledged marijuana for, for you know, everyone. And so the sales are going to surge. I think that's a terrible way to look at it because I think Canopy Growth is probably one of dozens of companies, if not hundreds of companies, that are going to be flooding into this market. And, and really, the supply that's out there is going to shoot higher. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to see, as we've seen in, in the U.S. states that have legalized it in, the, in this country, in Colorado, Washington State, you've seen a marginal increase in cannabis usage. But the supply has gone through the roof. And what, happened is, what's, what happens generally is, when that happens, prices come down. So, I think this is a pretty poor investment, and I think the market's recognizing it. CEO Rob Sands from Constellation Brands said, as people want to consume cannabis in a more sophisticated manner, beverages will become a more common delivery mechanism. We're not restricting ourselves to beverages just because we're a beverage company. You know, even if directionally he's right, the number it just still seems out of whack. Oh, it's it's yeah. the four billion number, and to jump from a basically a ten percent stake to a thirty eight percent stake when and we talked about this recently with uh, with Zillow and how part of the sell off last week with Zillow had to do with their acquisition of um, the Mortgage Lenders of America. Right. That's right. And Zillow not having the greatest track record in terms of acquisitions. I would argue the same thing with Constellation Brands. They paid a billion dollars for Ballast Point, oh, huge premium. Which was yeah, I and mean, then by the way, and that and that happened. I think two years ago, roughly what we call it, what we're seeing now, could have been the peak of craft beer. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that was a, that was a big price to pay. And uh, you look at their portfolio of brands. Sure, they've got some recognizable brands, but it's not like a murderer's row of of beer, wine, and spirits. So I I, I don't know. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too is is okay. You've you've got this. You're adding canopy growth, but there are there are no established brands in the cannabis industry. So what are you really adding here? I think what they're doing is they're picking what they think is going to be the leader in this you know this young market, and maybe they're they're being a little forward thinking. But it's going to be so hard. You're investing in a commodity product. There's no doubt about it. I don't think consumers are going to distinguish between a canopy growth. Branded, you know, version of pot versus another company's, and and they're spending a huge amount of money to do it. The returns, I don't think the returns are going to be very good with this one. We haven't really talked uh, about international investing on this show in a while, and I, I wanted to touch on this. We were we were going back and forth on Slack this morning. Um, 
certainly Turkey has been in the headlines, um, Russia, China as well, and and we're seeing this divergence. We're seeing the S and P 500 close to an all time high. We are seeing the uh, uh, MSCI All World Index, which includes the U.S. I think that's down about eight percent year to date. And I'm just I'm just wondering as an investor when you look at emerging both emerging markets and developed markets outside the United States. What goes through your mind? Right. I, yeah. Credit to uh, Riva Gold. This was an article in the Wall Street Journal today that kind of caught my attention, talking about how it is interesting that the U.S. markets, like you said, we're we're you know we're, I know we're down a little bit today, but we're within a few percentage points of all time highs. But if you look outside the U.S., I mean, it has been a rough market to the point where there's a legitimate bear markets in a lot of regions around the uh, around the world. You know, we talk about Turkey, but look at China, for example. The Shanghai Composite Index in China is down about 25 percent this year. The uh, MSCI China Index, which actually includes a lot of foreign listed China companies and many that we know. Here in the U.S. on the U.S. exchanges, uh, it's had about a similar fall uh, from its high, about 25 percent. And you know, a lot of people are focusing on some of the headlines right now: the trade tariffs. Um, you know, the, the fact that it's a trade war. There's countries retaliating against the U.S. U.S. is doing, you know, putting imposing tariffs on steel and aluminum and things like that. The real part of the story here, though, that I think might be missing from the headlines um, is that what's happened here in the U.S. is that Treasury rates have risen. Obviously, the Fed's been raising rates. You can now get you know roughly a three percent yield on the ten-year Treasury, which is kind of the benchmark. So you have the U.S., which has now relatively compelling risk-free yields, and what that does, especially to emerging markets, is it causes capital to kind of flow out of those countries and come to the U.S. because it's safer, get a high yield. Why am I going to you know try to get a maybe get even a lower yield in a place uh, you know in a, in a place like Portugal for some for when I can do that when I get a three percent yield in the US and it's it's a lot safer. It's just that's the dynamic that's playing out. And a lot of these countries unfortunately have been resident to raise their uh, central bank rates, Turkey being the latest example. And that causes yet more capital flight. It causes inflation while they're trying to hold down you know the rates, their currency depreciates. It's just it exacerbates the situation and that's causing a lot of capital to flow back to the US. And I think that explains some of the relative outperformance we're seeing. And by the way, not not to say there aren't great individual companies and businesses in some of these countries, but it does for a lot of people who when they Initially, think about investing internationally, particularly if they're working with a financial advisor. A lot of times, one of the first solutions that is offered to them is some sort of an ETF or an index, and and so it's like, well, this way you get sort of broad exposure to the entire Chinese market. And it's like, right. you know what? Broad exposure isn't always great. No, no, it can't be. I mean, and and it's some of the. I mean, look, just just you stick with the China theme for a second. Here are some companies that we kind of know and talk about a lot here at the full. Baidu, down 22% year to date. Alibaba, down 20%. JD.com, down 25%. Tencent, down 20%. So these are big, big losses in companies that are not fly by night companies. These are some of the biggest online platforms, you know, massive customer bases that we have in the world. And they've gotten crushed. So, do you think those, I mean, sticking with those examples, do you look at them as examples of being oversold? Do you look at some of them and think, boy, if, if, if that stock is on a 25% sale, I might have to pick up a couple of extra shares? I, I think 
I think the valuations are getting to a point where they look very compelling. I mean, especially a lot of this, I think, is because of the sort of prevailing U.S.-China tensions that are going on right now. But these companies, it's not like these companies are trading back and forth between the U.S. I mean, this is these are mostly domestic-focused Chinese companies that dominate their industries. Quick shout out to Slack for supporting today's episode of Market Fuller. Slack is a collaboration hub for work, whatever work you do. With Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversation and information around projects, offices, and teams. And because everything you need is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. Because with Slack, your team is better connected, and you can find out more at slack.com. As I said, we use Slack every day here at The Motley Fool. We use it to organize our thoughts around this show. And it saves so much time oh, in terms great. of the emails. I mean, I, I just remember three or four years ago, my email inbox on a daily basis would have like 50 new emails in it minimum. And it was just such a slog to throw well, in. I was actually thinking about it this morning because uh, you know, you and I have been here, uh, I've been here longer than you, but, but you've been here long enough that you know that every once in a while, uh, something new is unveiled to the employee base here at The Motley Fool. It's like, hey, we have a new payroll system. We have a new system for X, a new system for Y. And everyone's, and some of them aren't great. Some of them are just sort of like, okay, is this an improvement? I was sort of, yeah, yeah. and part of it is I'm old and cranky. But, um, <laughs> but Slack was one of those where I was like, oh, okay, we've got a new thing we're doing. And very quickly, I was like, this oh, thing. Yeah. It's so within, much better. Within two weeks, I was like, yes, this yes. is what I've been waiting for. Absolutely. Uh, Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. Uh, shout out to Sam Muffley, a longtime listener in Queens, New York, uh, sent a story uh, through Twitter. Um, interesting story in the New York Times about the private markets and. They're getting a little frothy, um, uh, yeah. you know. The the sort of the benchmark of boy, if you could raise a hundred million dollars in the private markets, that was seen as such a big deal. And now it's it's kind of commonplace. Oh yeah, I mean, I think Sam is definitely onto something. I read the article and I was astounded by the number here because you mentioned the the hundred million dollar deal, which they call quote unquote mega rounds in, in venture capital speak. There were two hundred and seventy three of those last year, but this year. Through the first seven months, there have already been 268. So, 268 companies have raised 100 million dollar rounds in the private markets, which that's astounding to me. I mean, and and yeah, it does beg the question. You know, if there's that much money slogging around in the private markets, why would I ever go public if there's that much money available to me? It's it's astounding. Yeah, I mean, I think it does. You know, for. For people who are looking for looking to the private markets, anticipating the prospect of companies going public, um, one, if they do, they're not they're less likely to go public at sort of a cheap valuation. Um, and to your point, they're I think just less likely to go public. Yeah, well, and you know, it, and to the larger point, I mean, there's it makes me think, and I think that's what Sam's alluding to is that you know, there's just there's just a lot of money out there in general, right. and I think it's 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 there's obviously a lot of great opportunities in the private markets, but you can I can guarantee you, many of those mega rounds have gone to companies that will never reach any kind of sustainable profitability. We probably won't even ever hear from them. I mean, it's just that that's money lost. Um, but yeah, I mean, the point is though, I think being a public company is costly. It's time consuming. It's resource intensive. But what it does, it does provide, I think, a healthy amount of scrutiny to a lot of companies in terms of hey, transparency. You know, you, do you have a plan to be profitable? You know, we're kind of keeping tabs on you. We want to hear from management. We want to hear what's going on at the company. 
And you know, it's a lot of these companies can just avoid that right now. And it's it's it stinks for us as individual investors in public equities because we the inventory of stocks as we've talked about is is declining. This sort of ties into a thought that I had last week when I saw the story about Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman teaming up to unveil a new video streaming service. And the well, the headline was Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman video streaming service, and they've raised one billion dollars yeah. for this. And I saw that, and I thought, I would think, given the success that Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg have had in their respective careers, they could raise a billion dollars for just about anything. I like, know. like, so it's like, well, I'm not going like, to get, yeah. I'm not going to get excited about a video streaming service that's brand new because a billion dollars was raised by those two people. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, it's like you had me at Katzenberg, so here's here's my check, you know. I, it's amazing what's happening. Uh, we were talking earlier about the business of alcohol. Here's the best story about the business of alcohol, which is that Bud Light is giving away free beer in Cleveland, Ohio. There is a catch, however. The company has placed what are being referred to as victory fridges at 10 different bars in Cleveland. The fridges are filled with bottles of Bud Light, and they are locked. The fridges are locked, and they will be unlocked when the Cleveland Browns win a game. And if you're not a fan of the NFL, um, then you're probably unaware of the fact that it has been a very long time since the Cleveland Browns have won a regular season game. In fact, it was late December 2016. Oh my gosh! I love this move by Bud Light. I like it a lot too. And I have to say, um, as a Patriots fan, and I know you are. I hope this happens in week three when the uh, when the Jets come to town and they, you know Cleveland can actually win that game. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I look at Cleveland. and I think they're not going 0 16 this season. No, they, they're going to win a few games. Uh, you know, and then starting maybe with week three against the Jets. But yeah, I love it. I mean, what, my question is though, let's let's when does this happen? So if you're at the bar, and you know maybe it's it's amazing. Cleveland's up by 14 points and there's two minutes left. I mean, is it like? All of a sudden, everyone's like crowding around this this fridge, and the bar owner's over there, and he's watching the clock. And you know, <laughs> so I feel like it's gonna be a frenzy. I mean, yeah, there there probably is. I, I should probably look at a map of where these are. There's, I think they're spread out throughout the general Cleveland area. But yeah, I hadn't really thought about. First of all, they're going to be unlocked when the game's over. It's not. Hey, we've got a lead in the. Early oh the no, fall. no, yes, oh. of course. But yeah. then, yeah, I think there would need to be some generally agreed upon decorum. But of course, keeping in mind that these will be probably uh, euphoric oh my fans who have been drinking for several hours anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. So you know what? Here's the thing: we're probably going to see video footage of this when it happens. I cannot wait. All right, Matt Argusinger, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.